You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 66. Today, I talk with Dr. Amy Sala, and we talk about a location-based job search. You're not going to want to miss this one. And if you find that you're having trouble at work, either with partners, complications, clinic, or negotiating what you want, you need a coach. Find me at bosssurgery.com and click on Become the Boss MD in 2023. We have an awesome group coaching program and I have very few spots for one-on-one coaching. Come join me. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have Dr. Amy Sala. We have known each other for a few years now, and she's got, I think, a really great story that we all need to hear um, about how our career progresses, because she's going to answer, I think, where a lot of you all are at on, you know, picking the job that you want and staying where you're at or going, and a lot of the decision making that go into it. And of course, the all important, what's actually important in life. So I'm really excited about this episode. So, so Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I know, well, currently I'll just introduce you, of course, as you're an ENT in Rochester, um, but tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, yeah, so I did my training at the Mayo Clinic and decided I want to do general ENT, so I didn't do any fellowship training, but I grew up in Western New York. And that's where all my family was. And so that's how I ended up back here. I think that's probably the most important thing because, you know, as we were talking about, like, you know, we finish residency, we, you know, we're basically told what to do. We go to this rotation and this one, and we get to the choice of, you know, I'm going to choose a job for myself. Take us through your thought process on, on finding a job and what was important to you. Yeah, totally. So um, when I first was looking the first thing I knew was that I didn't want to do fellowship. I wanted to just go into private practice. That was my goal. Um, And I think I saw more um, uh, flexibility and better opportunities for a general ENT there. But my most important thing was moving to home to be around support. So my job search was more based on location and where I was going to end up than finding the perfect job. And when you decided that this was a location-based, you know, decision that you wanted to make, what were some of the challenges that you had when you, you know, decided I'm going to be location-based? What were the the challenges that came up for you in finding a job? Yeah. So I don't even know that anything was listed. I had to cold call some practices and, you know, just look up who was practicing in the area and just to, just to kind of figure out. I mean, there is one university in the area, Um, but yeah, I had to kind of just figure it out because it wasn't like I worked with a recruiter or there was a, you know, job board or anything that, that I was looking at. I mean, I think that's a great point. I actually had a similar approach of, you know, when I was leaving the the military, we, we could have gone anywhere. And my husband's only directive was, I don't want to shovel snow. So I mean, <laughs> we basically had like a lot of things to choose from, but we had not been around family that whole time. And, you know, I made a similar choice too, of we wanted to be closer to family. And I too did not go through a recruiter. I just started cold calling hospitals. And I think a lot of people don't realize you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually wondered if I could, but I'm like, I'm just going to try it. <laughs> See what happened. And they were more than happy. Yeah. 
And it's funny because, um, you know, I think if you open up yourself to possibilities that you can call and just get information, you know, Mm -hmm. if if you call the right person, and that was my experience as well, I called the right person. I was like, hey, I'm a general surgeon. Do you need one? They're like, maybe not now, but I had started my search really early. Um, And I think that's a lot of uh, key too, is if you're looking for a location based is to start early and start really, you may need to actually build a case for their need for you. And, you know, especially if location is your priority, you're definitely going to want to start really early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that does help. I did as well. And so take us through um, what it was like to get your first job. So, you know, how was this someone that you had to cold call and how did that go? Um, Yeah, so the, I mean, I I called a different, a couple different practices and the university and I interviewed a couple different places and, um, Part of it was one, one comment I will say is I was so interested in location that I'll admit I didn't look as much at the other parts of the job, you know what I mean? And what it might entail. But when I called up, I'm also working in a a part of the country that doesn't have the easiest time recruiting physicians. So they were more than happy to interview and to take someone on if that was the case. So I was lucky from that standpoint. I know that's not true everywhere. That's a great point too, because, you know, if you have like, if your location matters so much that you may be afraid to look at some details, um, you know, if you're thought like, well, I just had to pick somewhere because it's close to there, you may overlook some details for sure. So when you think about it, what were some of the things that you overlooked in your search? Um, yeah, so I think I think part of this comes to what works for different people, but um, I overlooked like the personalities in the practice and what their situation was. Um, Because in theory, that shouldn't matter. But when you're in a practice of three or four people, they're going to bring their own values and, you know, work ideas, you know, and um, it matters a lot more than I thought. You know, before that, I just been at big residency programs and centers where they hire you purely based on your like academic numbers and your, you know, skill sets. And, And I think that's, okay. And at a bigger institution, it's less important. But for me in my first practice, being in a smaller practice, those other things mattered. Right. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate when you're in a university and you're in residency, um, there are rules in place and there's understandings in place that there are going to be certain protections um, for things like, you know, maternity leave and taking time off and there's backup mm-hmm. plans, there's safety nets. And, you know, mm-hmm. I know when you go to a smaller place and there aren't really any rules, um, you know, that can certainly be a, a point of contention. So take us through how that practice went for you. And when did you start realizing that there was a problem? Uh, actually my first day of work because I came, became pregnant, I came pregnant. Sorry. I was four months pregnant. And so it was obvious, um, when I came and, um, of course I don't want to like put too many of my biases or their biases on anything, but they clearly did not handle that. Well, they felt like I had lied to them and they didn't know I would be going out so soon. And it was a problem. Um, they were older gentlemen with stay at home wives. And I think that influence their decision-making, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. So. It makes perfect sense too, because we don't, we don't think outside of the experience that we have. And you can imagine like they were not even remotely considering the fact that a woman of childbearing age joining the practice may actually bear said child. Right. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> yeah. And that, and that I have to bear the child. It's like, I, it's like, I don't have a choice in this. You know, if I want children of my own, then I have to do this. And, yeah. and that was a bit contentious actually. So you can imagine the differences too, um, you know, because we think that it's understood that, that this is all normal and expected and, oh, you know, also supported by law, but there's also right. this idea, this idea of, of, you know, in the practice of joining, um, you know, even a, Aside from that is like when a partner comes with different expectations, you know, this is where the problems arise. And I think that your thoughts are the really the best way to do this is before you start, you know, what are the expectations? What are the things I anticipate? And, you know, what are my values? And that will keep you from joining a practice that has different values than you or, or different understanding. Right. Yeah. And I, I didn't explore any of that beforehand. And I just assumed it was a given. You know, because I did come from places where there are more rules and laws in place. And and none, nothing they did was like terribly overt, but it was, you know, there, if that makes sense. Completely agree, because, you know, a lot of times, and I know especially uh, difficult for women, is that we you know, go to work, we have all of these um, things because we have to bear the child. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. And right. we do need time off, you know, which is um, honored in most things, including the law, then, right. but also kind of creates when you have a child, it doesn't just end there too. You know, the, um, I think it's well documented that a lot of the second shift uh, mentality of like, we have to take care of things afterwards. It, it falls on the the female a lot of times um, in our current society. And so it can be a little bit difficult in someone who doesn't understand our situation. So it makes a lot of sense that there's certainly some potential for conflict. Um, and so when did you decide that that practice was not for you? Like, what was it that led to it? Was it the end of a contract or was it just uh, something that happened? Or when did you decide to go to a different job? Yeah, it was correct. My contract was kind of coming up. Like I had an obligation for a couple of years and it came time to kind of negotiate and discuss renewal. And I, I'll be honest, it was mutual on both sides of the party. We kind of felt like it wasn't a good. So yeah. that was when I decided to exit. Yeah, absolutely. And so now that you're looking for another job, um, and you had learned some lessons from this first job of, you know, I had expectations, they had expectations, they were not met, we're leaving on mutual terms. Um, what were some of the things that you that led you to look into your different job? What were some of the factors? Yeah, so um, I took some time, you know, I gave I gave them like six months notice. And I took that time, I wasn't worried about having a job right away. You know, I didn't want to be rushed into it. Because the first time I chose a practice, I felt like I had to have a job lined up right out of residency. And I think sometimes that might be the case for people, but my husband works and I didn't have to worry about that. So I, I took the time to make sure my next practice was a better fit and I didn't worry about it. But I knew I wanted flexibility because being a working mother um, demanded that, especially with a spouse who doesn't have a lot of flexibility in their their job. So I knew that was my one of my number one things, but I also knew the culture was going to be important because that was one of my big problems sure. in the I was leaving. And how did you go about um, answering the questions in your job search when you knew you wanted flexibility and you knew you were really interested in a particular kind of culture? Um, how did you approach um, each job and how did you find the answer to those questions? Yeah. So um, when I was looking at jobs, I was very upfront. Like I think the first time I was searching, I was worried they would say no and they wouldn't want me. And I was, and, and previously you're always like, 
putting on a show. You want to be chosen by your residency program. You want to be chosen. You know what I mean? But this time I went into it like, I need something that works for me. So this is what I need. If you can't provide it, I'll find it somewhere else. And um, that was challenging, but it I knew that that's what it had to be. I, I actually also was str- struggling with some health issues. And sometimes that just forces you to be like, look, this is what I need or I'm literally not going to survive, you know? Right. So, um, so I went in and telling them like, I want a part-time, but I don't want to be nailed to this schedule. Like I want to have the flexibility built in that if I need to change it, I can within reason, you know, I'm not going to, you know, say, okay, I'm working four days and then next week I'm going to start working three days. But if I want to start working three days in three months with enough head time, you know, need time, then we can make that happen, you know? And that was one of my, um, primary goals. And then I also this time made sure to meet everybody in the practice and to try to spend more time with them and get an idea of what their lives were like, um, which I didn't even think about the first time. But one of the practices I was looking at was another small private practice. And I felt like that was more important. Right. And I wanted to focus on something that you said, which was so helpful you know, when we're looking for jobs, we have that pick me mentality, you know, yes. pick me, pick me. And we don't look around and say like, what do I need? And mm-hmm. I don't even think that you have to have any health issues to say like, you know, I need to pick something that I'm going to be able to survive in. You know, right. we forget that we are making decisions from places where everything is going well. And right. we really have to pick these, these places that are going to be flexible if something comes up. If we get ill, if we get pregnant, if something comes, you know, happens, if we have a family member who dies, you know, if we get tired and don't want to do this all the time, you know, there's so many factors of what do I need and how is this practice going to serve me, which is so helpful, which is completely against the only the singular mentality of just pick me, pick me, tell me I'm important, you know, tell me I'm the best person. Um, It's a completely different mind shift from when we were residents and choosing, you know, getting chosen for residency. Yes, exactly. And so it's fascinating that you went from a small private practice to choosing another small private practice. What was about, what was it about this one that was different? Yeah. So this one had all physician, physician couples, you know, all of the partners were also married to physicians. I had another female, which made me feel more comfortable that they would understand who had already had a baby. So, (laughs) um, so that made me feel more comfortable that they've been through that, that they seem to treat her equitably and, you know, those type of things. Um, and I think that was the, the key for why I felt like it might work. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. If you have someone who you can identify with, who can identify with you, then it's a lot easier to identify that their values are likely similar to yours it's a little bit harder, and but not impossible. I mean, you can go to a practice who doesn't necessarily um, know what you need as long as you are clear what you need and make sure that they're okay with what you need um, right. is, is where you can overcome that. But it certainly it's so much easier when someone clearly knows what you're going through. Um, and so how has that gone for you? Like, take us through a little bit of what that job has been like for you. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the reason I decided on this as opposed to the university is because I knew that flexibility was going to be important and I didn't think I would get it, you know, at a bigger place. Um, and, but here that hasn't been a problem. They have let me make my own schedule. Um, I have had to defend it sometimes because I think most 
people in our field tend to just work, work, work. And, and in private practice, you have to think about the money too. And so you're like, are we going to make payroll this month? Like maybe don't take a vacation, you know? Um, but, um, so sometimes I have had to protect it too. Like, no, I came into this practice, you know, wanting the flexibility, but it hasn't really been an issue. Usually it just requires a comment or a conversation. That's the end of it. Yes. I love it because I know that you mentioned that um, when you were doing the interviews at the university, you started to get the sense that they were not going to be flexible. They were likely going to start impinging on your time. Is that true? Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. What were the red flags that you saw? Can you remember like for someone who's mostly interested, you know, leading with the values of needing flexibility, what were the red flags that set you off in that, in that interview that, that gave you this idea of like, oh, maybe this is not going to work? Well, part of it, I think, is the big institution. I, I don't know that I think the chairman may have wanted to, but he's also held in by certain laws and requirements that are set up for the entire institution. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it, it does, because a lot of times, and that's a really great point, actually, we're interviewing with a person who may not be making the decisions. Right, Exactly. <laughs> At least not all of them. Yes. And this also goes in the fact of making sure that it's in your contract, because what will happen is like, well, the chairman said that I could, well, it's not in your contract. And now you have a new chairman the day two, when you show up that now you have to abide by what this new chairman says. And so, you know, I think it also goes to like, if something is truly important to you, it must be in writing because the people you talk to are not necessarily the people who are going to be around when you start. I think that's a very good point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that um, in this private practice um, that uh, take us through the structure of this, because I know that there's you started off as an employee. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And what was that conversation like? So take us through a little bit of the structure, because a lot of people don't necessarily understand the structure of some private practices. Uh, like for me personally, I'm in private practice, but I'm under a practice management company. So I'm a okay. W2 employee of this. And so I make a lot of decisions and they're very flexible on those things. But a lot of the, the some of the bigger decisions I don't actually have to make, which is, it works for me. So mm-hmm. this is you know, private practice, my particular way. And I know yours is set up a little different. Take us through that setup. Yeah. So I think ours is a little more of what you consider like the traditional sense, you know? Um, So when I joined, there was actually uh, four partners. One of them has since left Um, and they had um, equal ownership in the practice. um, And they all were supposed to be in charge of like kind of managing it, I guess you could say. And they do everything themselves, you know, everything is in-house in um, and then I was actually the only physician employee that came on. And how did that conversation go? Like, was there, an, do they always hire people as employees or do they bring them on as partners or why was your situation different or is this how they've always done it? No, that is how they usually do it. They bring you on as an employee. And then later it wasn't necessarily set in stone when, but usually it's on track to be a partner. Yeah. I've always heard of this to this idea of, you know, on track to be a partner. And mm-hmm. you know, I've talked with a lot of people who were this, the um, on track to be a partner is this vague, opaque process. Mm-hmm. And is that what your impression of it was as well? Uh, yes, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, did you get any guidance of what being a partner meant? Um, 
I do think I did a little bit because um, I spent quite a bit of time talking to each of them, all four of them. And so, uh, which I wouldn't have done the first time around, you know, um, I probably would have just talked to the lead guy, you know, <laughs> um, but I spent time talking to all of them. So I think I did get a sense of what it was. And I actually joined the, the practice um, with the mentality that I might stay on as an employee only and being okay with that if that happened to happen, possibly, you know. I loved your um, your process on that too, because you didn't just take like the lead person's view on things, um, you know, especially when you have a process that's not so clear and knowing that you have like multiple stakeholders in this, I think your process for, you know, basically getting feedback from all of them was, was genius uh, because, you know, you really get a full circle idea of not just one person's opinion, but really um, a whole view of what the practice actually is and what you're, you know, essentially buying into because, you know, what is like, as an employee, you know, like you work, they give you stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and as a partner, how is that different? Yeah. So how it's supposed to be different, at least in my practice, (laughs) is that as a partner, you're supposed to have more like say and control over how it's run and what happens. Yeah. Um, And yeah, you buy into the practice. And so now all the money decisions, you know, equipment and money and, you know, all the things that practice are now within your control. And so I know that a lot of thoughts are like, okay, well, you know, my ultimate goal here is going to be partner. And was mm-hmm. that your impression of what your path was? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Originally. Yeah, exactly. And I know, cause I think we talked about a year ago um, and, you know, having to face this decision of, you know, okay, now's the time where you might be the partner. Um, but I know you had some hesitations. What were some of the hesitations that you had? Yeah, um, part of it came down to um, largely financial, the way they manage the financial resources in the practice don't align with what I would choose to do. Um, And um, that is that for me was going to be a huge challenge. You know, it was going to be a real stress for me to feel like I didn't have control over what was being done with the finances. Oh, absolutely true. Because now like the difference between an employee and a partner is, you know, as employee, you can always leave, right? You you haven't gotten the benefit of buying into this and, you know, share in the windfall of profits, but you also don't buy into the potential financial risk, which, you know, can happen with any difficult choice with equipment or, you know, um, contracts or all the things that could come up. And, so when you were faced with that decision, how did you make the decision that, you know, uh, whether you stay uh, an employee or as a partner? Yeah. So it came down looking to looking at what values were most important to me, because what I was looking for was more control over like purchasing equipment and what I could do with the practice. Um, but the trade up trade-off was, is that I would have to lose control over the financial decisions and, you know, the risks that were taken. And, um, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we met a year ago, but um, was I really gaining the control I thought I would, you know, was the trade-off really worth it? And ultimately I decided it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all going to have to decide like what our risk assessment is because, Mm -hmm. 
we, there is a risk in everything, you know, like if we go employed, there's this perception that we will not make choices um, in our practice. And if we go in private practice, we have all the control and also all the risk. Um, (laughs) So, you know, going to this idea, but of course those in themselves are stereotypes. So Mm -hmm. this idea that I am employed and therefore I will not have control of decisions. You know, I know that we talked about is actually not true. You can right. actually have a lot of influence as an employee. You just, instead of making a big change, which is, you know, buying more risk that you were willing to take is working on your influence of getting what you want. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and realizing like, I'm the only physician, I have a different role than most employees in the practice. So I do have more influence than I probably get myself credit for. I think that is like the best statement ever, because I think a lot of us don't realize how much influence we actually have mm-hmm. the fallacy that arrival fallacy of all they have to do is get that position or get that yep. whatever, get that arbitrary, you know, permission slip from someone else to be able to have the influence that I have. Um, and this idea that we can lead when we're not in charge is something that we can embrace right now. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Will also save us the disappointment of when you get said job or position, you don't have the control. Right. That's that's what I saw <laughs> happening. <laughs> and so I know that that um, that decision came with a little bit of pressure too. So um, I know that you, you received the contract and they said, "Okay, we're ready for you to be a partner." Uh, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in getting that contract? Yeah, I mean they they gave me a deadline to try to figure it out. Largely they were saying because of the fiscal year and it'd be cleaner and it would be, you know, and I understood all those points. You actually pointed out to me though, that it's all arbitrary, you know, that it can be worked out. There's ways around that. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, how many times we say like, you have to sign it by this date and Mm -hmm. we take that as, oh my gosh, I have to do it by this date. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And And then all of a sudden this idea of like, you know what? I think actually next month might be better. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I had already been kind of in limbo for three or four years. So what was another six months to a year if that's what I wanted to do? You know, if, if, because the other thing too, is if they're like, no, we really want to do it on a fiscal year, then all right, I'll wait another year. You know what I mean? That's a really great point too, because, you know, and this goes to like, if this is someone you really want to work with is Mm -hmm. hearing their thoughts Um, because we're all working on our own limiting thoughts and their limiting thoughts were, I had to do this on a fiscal year because it's too hard to think otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, And when, when we understand why they're creating this pressure, you know, they're not creating this pressure because, you know, there's something wrong with a relationship. They're creating this pressure based on the thought that they have. Right. And once you realize what their thoughts are, and these are their objections, you have ability to overcome their objections because now you know what they are. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if I, if I wanted to, I could help them figure out how to do it, not on a fiscal year, you know? Exactly. I love that. I waited three or four years. What's another six months? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you've, um, you know, decided that you'll stay um, as an employee, um, how has this been going for you? Um, it's been going okay. I do have to remind myself often about why I made the decisions I made and, and where I'm at. And, um, cause of course those, 
same issues don't always just go away. You know, there's, they're still there. There's still times where I wish I had more say and more control. And so then I have to remind myself of the process I went through and, you know, remind myself of the mentality that I want to have and why I did that and what my true values are. Um, Cause what stopped me from becoming a partner and uh, was the money uh, largely. And um, that's one of the only main disadvantages to, to staying an employee. Um, Cause as we talked about, I felt like once I become a partner, my whole control issues might not change as much as I thought they would. Right. And before we start recording, I think that you really came up with an important point um, of, you know, why, where we're at now is different than residency. So in residency, we're very performance-based and metrics-based. You know, I think you you so rightly pointed that out is that, you know, this is how we were trained and how we were taught that there are performances, there's metrics. And then in society, you know, these, these performance and metrics are measured by money. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And so like, if we are using those metrics as a way to determine success, then, you know, that can trap us into things that we may not want to do. Um, And so your approach of, uh, you know, creating values and understanding your values and making decisions from that are so helpful. Um, So I know that you talked to to us a little bit, or you talked a little bit before recording about the mindset, you know, what were some of the mindset shifts that had to happen to you um, to, to really focus on the value-based? Yeah. I mean, you hit it on, hit on it and we did talk about it a little bit before about it's partly a societal thing. You're right. So many things are measured by money, but also in our society, it's also measured by like um, performance. So you talked about RVUs, you talked about not even just how much money you actually get paid, but how you look on the productivity charts, you know what I mean? And then also academics, like how many research papers you do, what, whether you're a professor or whether you're assistant professor, you know, all those things is how we measure our worth in medicine. And when I really looked at it, that's not really what was important to me, you know, all of those metrics. I, I wanted to be around family. I wanted to be a physician. It sounds cliche, but most of us get into this because we're service minded and we want to take care of our patients, you know, and ultimately I'm able to do all that in this practice. Um, and maybe I don't make as much money as I could somewhere else. I definitely don't have any of those other academic achievements going on, but it works for me. I thought you said it best too, um, of I, you found your truth. And so, yes. I think, you know, finding our truths um, are most helpful. And I know you've mentioned a little bit too, but, you know, what what would you say is true for you? Yeah, yeah. So you're right. Um, I, I just, as I just talked about a little bit, yeah. N- having time for my family, the flexibility that I talked about in these practices and in these jobs, um, while still being able to stay, because I, I was at a, in medicine, at a, I was at a point where I almost quit medicine, you know, and that was in this practice, you know, so, it, and I actually really haven't changed my situation, but I've done a lot of thought work around finding those truths and realizing I can still have those, even if it doesn't look perfect on paper. And that's what I thought was so important, um, the importance of your story, because your story is, is that, you know, I don't have to change practices and I don't have to change jobs to find what I'm looking for because really what I'm looking for is what are my personal truths, you know, mm-hmm. and what is the mindset that I need to do to overcome these objections that are going to come up. 
because the objections that come up are instead of being value-based and creating the decisions, the practice that I want and the job that I want based on my values, um, or instead of based on these, these performance metrics, um, I'm going to base them on my, my values and my truths. And by doing so I can, I can go anywhere for that, you know, mm-hmm. And that is the most important thing is, is that there's a lot of times when we find ourselves, we're in a job and we're in a position where we are, we don't know what our truths are. We don't know what our values are and being led by these metrics and, or, or, and some of these metrics matter, don't get me wrong, but if right. we're led only by some of these metrics, um, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago about the, you know, using our views only if we miss the truths and our values, what's going to happen is that we're going to be miserable in the job that we have. We're going to seek another job, but we're not actually going to solve the problem. And right. this is when I encourage people to get coaching is when you're straddling this you know, decision of I should go, the best time to get help on mindset is before you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can really understand why there is the urgency to leave you know, what are you seeking? And, you know, is it absolutely necessary to change jobs? And, you know, a lot of times it is, and that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did once. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, you know, you can clearly look back at your decisions and saying this practice was never going to fit, at least in the, not without overcoming a lot of work that was probably not necessary. Right, right. Mm Mm-hmm. So you did all the right things, asked all the right questions, ended up in this practice, and then started asking yourself the same questions. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I knew there had to be work done somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. And I think it goes to, I mean, we know these things when we write them down and look at them. Like mm-hmm. no job is perfect. Right. We know, we know this. Mm-hmm. Living it and overcoming our own personal objections is a different story altogether. Right. Exactly. And just the awareness, because I still get frustrated. I mean, like, it's really nice for me to sit here and say, oh, I don't care about money. I don't care about this. And, and and my true values are that it's not as important, but there's times where I get frustrated. The insurance companies won't pay me and want to quit, you know, and I get frustrated that, you know, they don't manage the money in my practice the way I would. And I probably could make more otherwise, you know what I mean? So it, those thoughts still arise. And so then I have to remind myself, do I want to let that just boil and leave? Because I can, I can just leave if I want to, but it's just not where I'm at right now, you know? Oh, I trust me. I completely understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, and I've mentioned this before, you know, with private practice, the hardest part is that each month varies. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the, if you look at if, and here is, I guess, here's my advice base on this. If you have a metric that is going to bother you and is going to influence how you feel about your job, mm-hmm. it's just like weighing yourself in the morning. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how do you feel about yourself right now? Right. And how are you going to feel about yourself after you get this arbitrary number? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the exactly. aspect is like, we are the same people in this, the same job before we get that metric as we are afterwards. Right. It's Mm -hmm. recognizing when are we using a metric to hurt what we really feel about ourselves and our job on the inside? Yeah. To divine our self-worth. We do that all the time. All the time. 
Mm-hmm. And then we get this great, amazing mindset about it. And we forget. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I, I love, especially your point of, is that it's always going to come up, you know, mm-hmm. we're always going to have these um, objections about money. And it's so, mm-hmm. and I, I especially love how you said, it's easy to say, it's not about the money. The money's fine. I can make like <laughs> a big deal. Right. Right. And every now and then we, we remind ourselves it feels like a big deal. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the main thing I think um, uh, is looking at the mindset and overcoming these things that come up and really working on our, our thoughts on money and jobs. And I really appreciate you coming in and talking about the values and and finding our truths because I honestly think that it's different than what we've been taught and it's the only way to go. Yeah. So different. And I agree a hundred percent. It's just, it takes you to a better place in the end, because as we've talked about, you can change your, your external factors over and over again, but until you've done the work internally to really align your truths, it'll never feel right. Looking back, if someone was in the same position that you were um, looking for a job and the location they want and finding the the values base, what would you advise them? Yeah. So taking the time to do it is really the number one thing and realizing that it's important. Nobody told me that's what would get me to where I would feel the most fulfilled in my job. That's not, I don't feel like that's taught ever. You know, it's about where can you make the most money and where can you publish the most papers? You Where can you, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm not saying those things aren't important to some people. And if you find Find that that's your truth, that's fine, you know? But I think you do need to sit down and do that. And I didn't take the time to do that until I was forced to. And I think that's why your story is so important because, in, and of course, in residency, it is performance and metrics based, um, mm-hmm. as it should be. We want to make sure to, to, to put out good quality surgeons. But, right. you know, it is our responsibility now to decide what these metrics are that we measure. Um, and I think that your advice on, on recognizing that leaving residency, this is your directive, find your truth, find your values, um, is, is something that's going to help so many people. Yeah. And know that you're still worthy and you're still a good physician, even if it's just a part-time, you know, employed physician in a rural area, <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, because especially if you are creating the job that you want based on the values that you want, it is likely, in fact, you know, this is where most of these podcast episodes are coming from. It's likely going to be different than what it Mm -hmm. looked like in residency. And the value of showing our stories and how other people are doing it and doing really well and having lives that they always wanted and don't have to quit medicine and don't have to change jobs that you can actually not just find the job you want, but as you've done is create the job that you want um, and overcoming these urgencies to change it to where it looks like someone else's idea of success um, is, I mean, such a valuable lesson. Yeah. And realizing where you can compromise, right? So if you have too long of a list and you haven't really picked out which are the most important to you, it's going to be hard to find anything that actually works for you. Exactly. And, you know, leading with the priorities uh, in mind, I think those are just so helpful. Yeah. Perfect. So what's next for you? Well, for now, just staying put. (laughs) Isn't it great? (laughs) Isn't it great? Just like, I'm just going to go and work and be happy and be satisfied. 
and live the life that I've always wanted because I've created it this way. What a beautiful message. Yeah. And I realize that there'll be times where I, and there might come a time where I want to switch or something will come up and I'm okay for now. Yeah. I'm good. (laughs) I actually, I love that lesson too. I was just talking to someone about this is that, you know, if we take the model of residency, because we can choose to take some model of residency, but you know, this idea of like this rotation is over now. (laughs) The length of our rotations, we decide. Right. Yeah. Changing is actually not a failure. Changing is like a, wasn't that a fun rotation? Or wasn't that not a fun rotation? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying your current, current rotation. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Sala. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for having me. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.